Our, our key scripture is Ezekiel chapter 20, 22, verse 30. And it says this, I look for, this is God talking, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. How many of you guys want to be the type of people that when God is looking for somebody, you say, yes, sir, right? We stand in the gap to, to be put in the purposes of God. God is looking for people who will say yes whenever there's a gap to be feel, filled. And, and that's what he's looking for, uh, not just in, in Bible times, but he's looking for it still today. I, I was, uh, Aaron, Pastor Aaron shared a story with some of the real life group leaders about a guy named Reese Howells. Now, Reese Howells was a, a man uh, in mighty revival and prayer, and uh, God directed him on how to stand in the gap for certain people, and he did it in a unique way, simply by instructing him to focus on one person at a time, and to really go after them in prayer, to really focus in on one person. And there's a, a story about a guy named Will Battery, which I just think is a weird name. I don't know why. I just think it's a weird name. So if your name is that, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you today, but uh, I just thought, that's a cool name, Will Battery. But he had a messed up life. I mean, he was like, for two years, he hadn't slept in a bed. He was unkept. He was uh, you know, caught up in alcohol and just, just a messed up guy. Nobody really liked him to be around him or anything. But God laid Will on Reese's heart. And so he began to pray for him day after day after day after day. He spent his free time making friends with Will and spending time with him. And day after day and year after year. And finally, after some years, after many times of spending time with him and praying for him, Will began to clean up his life and begin to come to Christ and begin to put his life back together. But it took day after day, year after year. How many of you guys will just admit that sometimes when God lays something on our heart, we get bored after a while when we don't see exactly what we want to see happen, right? And, and we kind of tend to drift to some new thing. But that's not what God was doing in Reese Howell's heart. And so there was another guy who, same story. I mean, he was like the worst guy in town. Nobody wanted to be around him. Uh, but God laid this guy on his heart. And so he began to pray for him day after day. And one day this guy showed up at Reese's house. Now you got to understand that Reese had made a deal with God in, in, in a sort of way where he said, God, if you can do anything, if I can do anything for you, don't use somebody else to do it. Do it through me. Now, how many of you guys know that's a bold prayer to pray, isn't it? If you can do anything through me, don't use somebody else to do it. And so this guy came to Reese and he said that he was two years behind on his rent. Now, I don't know how you don't get kicked out after two years being behind on your rent. But Reese says, he said something amazing. He says, I can, I'll take care of the first year for you. And I know a guy who can take care of the second year. So he started to go upstairs to get the money for, to give this guy one year's rent. And as he was making his way up the stairs, God said, wait a minute, Reese. Didn't you say you were going to make yourself available? That if I could do anything through you, don't do it through somebody else. Do it through you. You have the money. Give him all of it. And so he gave this guy who, who was not responsible, he, he gave all of it to him. Eventually, you guys probably know how the story turns out. He came to Christ. He, it, was, it was just one of those things. It, it takes time and persistence to stand in the gap. It's not just a quick move on thing when you don't see the results that you want to see. How many of you guys want to be that type of person though, right? That God can trust you with those moments. That God can trust you with those people. 
Sarah Poor was doing this same thing with the ladies in a real life group. She challenged them to do the same thing. And then Pastor Aaron spread it to all the real life group leaders. He said, what if we were to challenge people to do this and, and call it the lost will be found initiative? And all of us have people like that in our life that God is challenging us to stand in the gap for. I want to be that type of person. Now, this week, I was, it was Tuesday. Usually I'm in here on Tuesday mornings. I'm here all, all day Tuesday by myself generally. And I will pace around the building and pray and, and begin to just spend time with God on what he, he wants to share on the weekend. And it, it's, it's amazing because sometimes I'll come into a week and I'll know exactly what, what we're going to be doing this weekend coming up. And sometimes I'll come into a week and I won't know anything about what I'm supposed to preach uh, on Tuesday for that weekend. Now, as a pastor, that's pretty scary because Sundays seem to come around with alarming regularity for pastors. And uh, you've got to, you're, you're, they're coming every week, you know, and you can't stop them. And so I'll pace around the building and, and I'll put easy 10 to 12 miles in this building of pacing because how many of you guys are walkers? How many of you guys are pacers? I mean, I can't stand still. There's not a big enough stage for me. I, can, I just keep walking, you know, but I'll pace around and pray. And I was praying Tuesday morning and I was praying and saying, God, what, what do you want to share this weekend? And as soon as that prayer went out of my mouth, Somebody texted me, a friend texted me, and they said, here's one of my favorite stand-in-the-gap stories in the Bible. I'd really love to hear you preach on that sometime. So I'm like, okay, God, uh, I guess answered prayer right here. And so I began to look at this story, and it's a very interesting story in Numbers chapter 16 in verse 47. Well, I'll just take you kind of to the end of the story, and then we'll come back and hit the back story. It says, so Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people, and he put incense on, put the incense on, and made atonement for the people. So he took this incense burner and he runs into the middle of a people where a plague is getting is starting to happen and kill people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. This is a picture of what we are supposed to do as believers. We're supposed to stand between death and life and to bring atonement, bring Jesus Christ to those who are dying. We, we are to stand in the gap for people. This is who we're supposed to be as believers. But how easy is it for us to just move on to the next thing or get distracted with other things when things don't happen exactly like we think they should? I went back this week to the very first sermon I ever preached at this church. Very day one. And I look back at, at, at three things that I talked about that day. And, and one of them was that we are to be a church that's all about rescuing a lost generation. We're to be a church that, that's about equipping, equipping those to fulfill their God-giving dreams. And, and we're to be a church to, that's going to authentically journey with God. Those things are still our heart today, to rescue a lost generation and I just ask you today, are, are, is that, does that still burn in your heart? I mean, many of you guys have been following Jesus for a long time. And when you first came to Christ, this was like on your heart that everybody needs to know. That everybody, I need to stand in the gap for people. But over time, we kind of lose our persistency sometimes. And we've got to be that people to stand in the gap. To stand in the gap between the dead and the living. But, but to stand in the gap between the dead and the living, it requires something. First of all, it requires that you actually be alive, <laughs> that you actually be one of the living, that you actually have a burning desire for Jesus in your heart. 
that you actually, you haven't lost your first love, that you are actually have something to stand there and, and something to give to people and some, some place to stand between the dead and the living. You have to actually be alive because there's a difference between the dead and the living. How do you guys know that's true? There is a difference. And I was reminded of this. Um, I, I, was, I was standing in the shower. That's awkward. Um, I was standing in the shower and I just looked over at my wife's shampoo. Oh, somebody put some trash in here. This isn't actually a trash can, guys. Um, this is for an illustration. <laughs> That's awesome. And I st I'm standing there, and I look over at my wife's shampoo, and I start reading the back of the bottle. And I don't know if I can read it here or not because of the lighting. It's a, but here's what it says. Pamper yourself with this indulgent body wash that has the delicate scent of peony. And I was like, I wonder what mine says. And so I went over to mine, and I looked at mine, and I'm like, works hard, smells great. <laughs> Good enough for me. That's the difference between men and women right there on the shampoo bottle. I was like, that's it. That's all. I mean, for guys, that's it. That's I mean, work hard, smell great, man. Let's go for it. There's a difference between men and women. How do you guys know that's true? There's a difference between the living and the dead. We have to actually have something to give. And so what I want to do before we go any further is I want to take a look back at this backstory of Aaron running into the midst of the plague with this incense burner. So let's watch. Okay, so here's the backstory on Moses and Aaron standing in the gap. There was this guy named Korah. Now, this is a crazy story, but this guy named Korah, and he had 250 people riled up against Moses and Aaron's leadership. So picture this room uh, filled with, this will hold about 250 people. I didn't want to do it live because something really bad happens to all these 250 people. So imagine this full of 250 different people and he riled up them against Moses and against Aaron. And so they begin to challenge his leadership. And so Moses does this thing where he says, all right, let's let God decide. You guys get your incense burners and put some incense on them. And we come before the Lord, and we're going to let God decide who is the one who's in charge and who has the rightful leadership. And so after a little bit of hassling back and forth, they decided, okay, let's do this. And, and God was really upset with them, and he's getting ready to wipe them out. And he wants to see what Moses will do. And so Moses, instead of just saying, yeah, God, take them out, he, he begins to cry out to God and say, no, God, let's, you know, don't wipe out everybody because of somebody else's sin, just one guy's sin. Don't wipe out everybody in the whole congregation. And so they begin to have this, this standoff where they bring their incense burners and, and Moses has his incense burners. And all of a sudden, God says, I want you to get away from Korah and his tents and the people that are with him and then the 250 people as well. And Moses gets up and he has this like old school prophet type word from the Lord. And he says, if, if I'm the true leader, then these men will not die by ordinary means. They are going to die. God would do something completely brand new. And if I'm really t telling the truth and if I'm really the leader and I'm really anointed by God, here's what's going to happen. Here's what God has showed me, that they, God is going to open up the earth and he's going to swallow them alive. And as soon as crazy, as soon as he gets done saying this, the earth opens up and swallows those people alive. And all of the 250 that were riled up against with the incense burner, all of a sudden fire comes down and destroys all of them. Now, everybody's freaking out about this. The next day, 
though, the whole congregation, I mean, so you got all the children of Israel are riled up against Moses and Aaron. And they are like, man, we are, we are tired of this. We are tired of you. And again, Moses has an opportunity because God says, all right, stand back. I'm going to wipe them all out. And Moses does something unexpected. And he, again, cries out before God. God's getting ready to send a plague to, to wipe them out. And he's looking to see what Moses and Aaron are going to do. And so Moses cries out before God. And instead of calling down fire from heaven uh, to destroy all of them, he again stands in the gap. And, and as people are getting ready to be affected by this plague, he tells Aaron to light his incense burner and as directed by God and to run into the middle of these people who the plague is happening to, to run into the middle. And in fact, we see this story in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 47. It says, so Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly and behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And verse 48, here's that scripture again. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. So Moses does something incredible. Aaron, even more so, he runs into the middle of this with this incense. The high priest, Moses, runs into it to make atonement for the people. Doesn't this sound a lot like Jesus, our high priest, who runs into the middle of where we are, into the middle of our death, of the middle of our sin, and makes atonement for us? See, Aaron stood in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap for us as well. But what we see here is an incredible picture of Moses and Aaron having love for people that were actually their enemies, that were rising up against them. What we see here is a beautiful picture of them standing in the gap and running into the midst of danger so that people might be rescued. What an incredible story of someone standing in the gap. All right, so 250 people, 250 other people, like second service people today, right? That's, that's not, not you guys. So, um, but it's a beautiful picture, I mean, an amazing picture of, of someone who is standing in the gap for people who are against them. And instead of calling down fire on their enemies, what do they do? They remind God of his mercy and grace for people. How much more, I mean, how many of you guys admit that we need to have more of that attitude in, in today's culture and especially in the church? That instead of just looking at people who we're against or feel like are coming against us, so many times we end up trying to, you know, pray for God to just set things right and to make this happen this way. Instead of reminding God of his grace and his mercy towards other people. And, and how many of you guys were here last week and you heard story after story of people standing in the gap for other people? What I want to do today is I want to give you three keys that God showed me this week on how we can do that for other people. Just practical ways that we can stand in the gap for other people. And the first key is this. Proximity reveals passion. You see, it's, it's one thing to say you want to do something. It's one thing to say you love people. But really, that's only measured, it's, it's, it's really only measured by how close you're willing to get to them. Because proximity reveals passion. Another way to say this is, is this. Distance, it, it, the, the distance creates distortion. Whenever something is far away, it gets blurry. It gets distorted. You don't see a crisp, clear picture. 
The same is true of people in our life. Whenever people are far away from us, even if they're in the same room, but in our heart, we put them far away, then guess what happens? A picture, we don't have an accurate picture of who they are. We don't have an accurate picture of their motives. We don't have an accurate picture of love for other people because there's a distance and distance creates distortion. Uh, How many of you guys are talkers? How many of you guys just admit that you're a talker? All right, just hold it up. I mean, you guys ought to be able to hold your hand up because you guys just, I mean, come on. So I'm, I'm a talker. One of the worst things that can happen to me, seriously, is when I lose my voice. I hate losing my voice because when I don't have a voice, I feel like I'm trapped inside of myself. I feel like claustrophobic. I feel like I can't, does anybody resonate with that? Like if you can't, is it just me? I need a, I've got a problem. Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, we'll talk later, okay? I seriously, I feel like I'm trapped inside of myself. I hate losing my voice. And here's the thing. If you're not close to something or someone, you really lose your voice to speak into their life. And I think so many of us are frustrated in different areas of our life. We're frustrated in our marriage. We're frustrated with our kids. We're frustrated with ministry. We're frustrated with our ability to reach out to people and share the gospel. But if we would simply be honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that somewhere along the way, we've lost our voice into that situation. We've lost our voice into their life to be able to speak into that. Because somewhere along the way, we, we have created distance whether it's, it's like a holy distance, well, I'm better than you, or you've done this to me. We've somehow created distance. And listen, everything at a distance, any conversation at a distance is not a conversation. It's simply yelling. And so what we do is we try to yell towards our kids or yell towards our spouse or yell towards the world, and we've really lost our voice. We don't have a voice in their life. That's good stuff, guys, whether you like it or not. That's good stuff, okay? we got to have a voice. And the only way to have a voice is with proximity to people. And I'm talking about the people we disagree with, and I'm talking about the people we agree with. I'm talking about the people we love and the people who don't love us. I'm talking about this is what the Scripture teaches us. And if we're going to be believers, then it has to look different It has to look supernatural. It has to look otherworldly. We can't look just like the world and and say and claim that we have Christ. In fact, the scriptures say Jesus said that you will know them by their love. And if we don't have love and that love doesn't manifest itself into real love, then what do we really have? We've lost our voice. We've got to have our voice. We've got to be within earshot of people. And so, uh, how many of you guys remember those old school, and I have to say old school now, but old school cameras where you actually had to take film and send it off somewhere and get it developed, right? How many of you guys remember that? And so, I mean, you would have to pay money. You know that you did not take a bunch of pictures with those cameras, did you? It's like, no, because you knew every single shot counted, every single thing. Now, here's the thing about images. I was listening to somebody talk about this this week. They wrote a book about images and presence. You see, when we had those cameras, and maybe, you know, a generation ago, I have to say now, we would take pictures And what the picture was supposed to do, what the image was supposed to do, it was supposed to take a moment that happened in time and keep it with us to keep that moment present, right? And so we would put it in a book to keep it present. We would, it would take a moment that happened in our life and keep it present, traveling with us through time. And that was the purpose of pictures and images. 
Now, what we have today in our social media culture is really we have the opposite effect. That the image that was supposed to bring presence, the image has actually replaced presence. So we take a million pictures. Don't think about the pictures. We're hoping to get the right one for Instagram, right? We're hoping we don't, the, the images don't necessarily matter so much so that we can put it online so that instead of being present with one another, the image has replaced presence. So in a sense, the image has actually, instead of making what was far near, has actually created more distance. It's a crazy phenomenon. Becca used to, and still, gets upset with me when I put something online, and then she'll meet like with somebody later on in the week, and, and she'll want to tell them something that's happened, and they'll say, I know. She's like, why are you putting that on there? Because now they know, and now I don't get to tell them. And so my image that I've put up has replaced being present with people, and, and we end up living not in the present because of that. And I remember when, when my son was playing flag football in kindergarten and I brought out one of those camping chairs. You know how you do. You're sitting out there, he's playing flag football. I've got one of those big cameras, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm like video camera, you know. And I realized one day, and many of you guys will identify with this, but I realized I'm watching this whole event through this little screen. And all of a sudden, this screen replaced presence. And, you know, on vacation, you know, for always looking at mountains through a screen, you know, it's the, the image has replaced presence. Why do I bring all this up? I bring it up because I think the same thing happens in our life when we talk about wanting to, to see the lost saved, or we talk about wanting to love people, or we talk about wanting to follow after Jesus. And it's somehow as if, instead of the talk bringing that present into reality, it's almost as if the talk has created more distance from us to actually be able to do that. And, and so the more we talk about it and the more we don't do it, it's as if the conversation has replaced presence. So as if the conversation has replaced actual action. And we've forgotten this principle that proximity reveals passion. I don't care how much, you, how much passion you say you have. If you're not close to it, you don't have a voice to speak into it. I see this all the time with church. I've pastored this church for over 12 years now. I was a youth pastor for several years before that. And all the time, and you may see this in your own life, but all the time I'll have people who want to speak into what's happening here at the church but they have no skin in the game. Listen, if you have no skin in the game, then you really have no voice in the game. And, and it's because proximity, create, it reveals passion. And we've got to get close to people. We've got to get closer to people, to situations, to the lost, to the broken, to the hurting. We can't just talk about it. And maybe you don't think about this, but for me as a pastor, almost everywhere I go, yes, I encounter lost people and through, through uh, what happens here at church or our ministry, but I have to really work to get outside of the Christian bubble because of everywhere I go. I'm in a group or a meeting or something like that. I have to work at it really hard to do that. And so a few years ago, I was going to be getting real intentional about this, and I decided that I'm going to get like a membership at a gym. And, uh, and this gym had like a, a sauna and a hot tub and a swimming pool. How many of you guys like saunas? Anybody like saunas? All right, five people, okay. How do you guys think saunas are like about close to hell? Okay, anybody close to hell? Okay, 
That's about where that's at. Okay. I'm a sauna person. I can sit in there forever. And so my wife is like, what are you doing? You know? And so I will go in there and I, so I was at this gym and then I, I went in and I sat in the sauna and I'm sitting there and, and all of a sudden people just start having conversations with me, which is really awkward by the way. But all of a sudden, I started to be able to just have conversations, just naturally. God opened up doors, conversations about God, conversations about Jesus. So I kept making trips back to the sauna. It was like my mission field. It was the sauna. They were already close to hell anyway. I was snatching them right out of that, you know? It was awesome. But, but if I wasn't getting close to that, I'd never have the opportunity and if we want to stand in the gap, we have to remind ourselves that proximity reveals passion. We can talk all we want, but if, if the talk is just replacing the presence, then we've missed the boat. And I want to challenge all of us to get near again, to find those that we can talk about standing in the gap for people, but it's really when we draw near to those when it really, really counts. Now, what's the second key? The second key, I have to take you to, some of you, to a very uncomfortable place. I have to take you to a very uncomfortable place, and to do that, I really need to show you. So let's watch. Okay, here is point number two, and it's this. Progress requires pain. Now, I'm here at my treadmill, which I keep in my garage, where it's cold, where it's freezing, uh, where it's dingy and dirty, because I want to have the full experience of all of the part of the sweat and the grind, because how many of you guys have heard that saying, there's no pain, no gain, and progress requires pain. If I want to work out and get healthier and get more fit, then I have to use this thing, and sometimes it is painful, and we have to understand that progress requires pain. Now, uh, you say, I I I'm not talking talking about like pain of sickness. Sometimes we, we hear that word pain and we start to think of, of like sickness or pain in our body in a, in a way like as if God is putting some sort of pain on us. Listen, God never puts pain on us. God never puts sickness on us. You say, well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? You know, everybody always kind of goes to that spot. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Isn't that sickness? Listen, don't ever listen or pay much attention to anybody who says that the only interpretation for that scripture is that it has to be God putting sickness on somebody. It's absolutely false. In fact, if we look in scripture here, we can actually see as we zoom out in context, what is actually being talked about with this thorn in the flesh. Paul uses a figure of speech to talk about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, Revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, again, a lot of people think, well, okay, this is a thorn in the flesh. And so, you know, God wants him to be weak and he's going to teach him a lesson through this. That's not the kind of pain that God has us go through. In fact, if we can just zoom out to the context or even just keep reading just a little bit more, the scriptures detail exactly what kind of pain he's talking about. So let's continue reading. Let's not stop right there. Let's continue reading. It says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Now, what kind of weakness is he talking about? It says, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here we go. Here's what it's talking about. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, 
persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The type of pain, the thorn in the flesh, I believe that's being talked about here, has nothing to do with sickness, and it has everything to do with persecution. What is Paul describing here? He's describing being persecuted. He asked God to take that away, but we know that Paul was persecuted. In fact, Jesus tells us that we will be persecuted ourselves as we walk out uh, our purpose for him, as we proclaim the name of Christ. And so we're no different. We're going to experience pain pain and persecution. We know nothing, hardly anything about persecution though. I mean, in the early church, you think about the early church, they were enduring persecutions left and right all the time. In fact, one of them, uh, the stories that sticks out to me is Polycarp, who was a, an aged bishop, kind of a pastor type dude. They brought him into a big arena and they was trying to get him to confess that Caesar is Lord. He's like, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. And they said, well, will throw you to the beasts. And I love this guy because he says this. He says, bring on your beasts, bring on the beasts. And they, they said, well, if you scorn the beasts, then, then we'll have you burn. And he says this, he says, you try to threaten me with the fire that burns for an hour. And you don't understand that there's an eternal fire that burns forever in hell. And he was eventually burned at the stake. Now, most of us won't experience that kind of extreme pain, but we will still experience pain in uh, the progress. And so if we want to experience, if we want to stand in the gap for people, that means we're going to experience disappointments. That means that we're going to take steps towards people and people aren't going to take steps back. That means we're going to have to get back into the game. Maybe we've been hurt by church people or we've been hurt uh, by family members. And, and there's sometimes when, when we want to heal a relationship or we want to make progress that we step back into that pain. And, and again, I'm not talking about an unsafe situation or anything like that. I'm simply talking about that if we want to see progress, if we want to see people saved, if we want to be, see people set free, if we want to see relationships restored, if we want to rescue a lost generation, then we are going to have to step into some of the pain of persecution. And, and even in that, though, even in that pain, as we step into that, knowing that, that we're accomplishing what God wants for our lives and what God wants for their life, and, and we stand in the gap for people, I believe even in that pain, we can still see God at work. And, and there's a way to do that that makes all of that possible. Possible, and that's the next point, point number three, that I want to share with you right now. And point number three is this. Purpose requires power. When God gives us a purpose, he, he does, it's, it's not something we can do in our own strength. The moment we think we can do it in our own strength is the moment we've misheard or we've misjudged what God has actually called us to do. Because God, he gives us a purpose, but he gives us a purpose that's bigger than ourselves and beyond ourselves. And, and, God doesn't and God doesn't search for someone to stand in the gap and then just leave them to their own strength. He gives power. How many of you guys have heard this scripture before? It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. How many of you guys have heard that scripture? Maybe even memorize it. He who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. See, here's the truth. When you, when you stand in the gap, you step into his strength. When you step out in faith and you stand in the gap, what you're also simultaneously doing by faith is stepping into the strength that God supplies. Now, as I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago and I was meditating on this verse, God started to show me that many of us maybe don't even struggle that much anymore with he that's in the world. 
Some of us, we understand who we are in Christ. We understand that the devil doesn't have an effect, that he, can't, he only has as much authority as we allow him to have, that he's a defeated foe. We understand we don't struggle with those pressures of the world so much, but what we actually struggle with is what's inside of ourselves. Maybe we struggle with fear. Maybe we struggle with insecurity. Maybe we're struggling with sin inside of ourselves. And so whenever we want to stand in the gap, we look at ourselves and we say, we don't, we're not strong enough. I can't do that. And God began to create this phrase in me that's based on this scripture that I've been repeating over and over again. And maybe this will help some of you. That scripture says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Here's, here's what God has me repeat over and over again. Greater is he that's in me than me in me. Greater is he in me than me in me. And every time I get fear or insecurity or doubt or whatever, I just remind myself that greater is he in me than me in me. Whenever I start to think, well, maybe I don't have what it takes, greater is he in me. It's not about me in me. It's about he in me. Greater is he in me than me in me. I, I love that, that so many people last week came here and came to get filled with the Spirit. How many of you guys saw some of that online? We had so many people. They just lined up all over the place to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the Scripture says in the book of Acts, it says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We can't do this on our own strength. And I love seeing people get filled with the Spirit. Now, some people have said, you know, the, you know getting filled with the Spirit, does that make you better than me? And I love what I've heard somebody say before. They said, no, being baptized in the Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. Because greater is he in me than me in me. And when I get power from God, then I can stand in the gap and step into his strength. So I want to close up and have the worship team come back up at this time. And I really just want to pray a prayer over us. I want to pray a prayer that there would be a hunger, a desire, a lack of a better term, a burden for people again in our hearts so we wouldn't just talk about standing the gap for people, but like Tom challenged us last week to write down a name of somebody to, to get it in our heart, but not just even just have it on a piece of paper, but actually begin to walk it out and, and understand that proximity reveals passion, that, there, that progress requires pain, and that purpose requires power. We need all of this to stand in the gap for people. So would you all stand up with me as we just begin to make this declaration prayer. And you might even just lift up your hands to God just as a kind of a sign of, God, I'm stretching out. God, I need you. God, I, I want to have your purpose for my life. And Lord, I just declare over every single person here that there would be a renewed hunger, not just our first love for you, but our first love for other people. That we would have a renewed desire to stand in the gap for people. That we would look at the hard situations that we may have thought, well, no one wants to mess with that person or no one can stand in the gap there. And we would understand that through persistency and through your power that we can stand in the gap for other people. That you can do the miraculous. That you can go beyond what we can do in our own strength. That even the hardest, toughest cases, they're not off your radar, but they, there's something that can be accomplished in and through your strength. So Lord, we declare that right now. We declare that that there would be a boldness, a Holy Spirit boldness that would rise up in, per, in every person's heart, that there'd be a courage right now, that there would be a strength that comes not just from the well of our own instinct or knowledge or, or skill set, but it would come from you and it would come from the Spirit of God living and alive on the inside of us. Help us to be the type of people that are willing to stand between the living and the dead for the sake of souls. Help us to be the type of people that are willing to stand between the living and the dead to see revival, to see your kingdom come on earth as 
it is in heaven. Lord, I declare that over us as people and as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time.